Hello there, it's me, Chip Briere. I don't know how many days we've been in isolation. I've worn the same sweatpants for weeks on end, and my toilet paper inventory is starting to teeter towards empty. But I'm in good spirits. Yeah, glass half full for life. Now what does wonders to keeping a positive outlook on life during coronavirus? Helping our medical personnel fighting the pandemic. That is why I've donated to Pros for Heroes campaign to help fight against COVID-19. Launched by World Series champion Ryan Zimmerman of the Washington Nationals and his wife, Heather, along with the support of numerous athletes across the D.C. region and the country, their goal is to ensure that healthcare professionals have the tools they need to stay safe, including supplies, reliable equipment, and healthy meals for themselves and their families every day. Got a chance to talk to Ryan Zimmerman and Heather Zimmerman today. They've said John Wall and other athletes in the D.C. area, a tight-knit group, have been calling them. No initiative needed by Ryan or Heather to get other pros involved, and there shouldn't be any other kind of motivation you need. Get over there and donate to help fight coronavirus. Visit Pros for Heroes COVID-19 Relief Fund GoFundMe page. Every little bit helps a whole lot, and they are already past $300,000 in donations. That's incredible. Okay, you ready? Let's do it. I'm going to say this just once by myself. For the record, and then I won't say it again. Holy sh! The last dance was so good. It was so good. I think everyone in America had an idea that the 10 part documentary series that debuted Sunday night on ESPN was going to be good. It blew all our expectations out of the water. At least for my generation, the millennial generation. Because when Michael Jordan was relevant in his prime, I was six or five years old. I did not understand what basketball was in Richmond, Virginia. I had only gotten into the world of sports later in life as a Miami Hurricanes football fan. Football will always be my first sport that I got into. Basketball... Although it is now my true love, my favorite sport to cover, my favorite sport to watch as a fan, growing up a Miami Heat fan, there's one thing I know, and that is Michael Jordan is the definitive, undisputable GOAT of the major four pro sports. You could argue Tom Brady recently, but it always starts with Michael Jordan. That's why LeBron James and Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan... Our conversations in Hot Take Central. But I had no idea Michael Jordan had this going on in the background. What we saw in episodes one and two for my generation was revealing in all the ways that matter. The front office, the business, the mentality, a peek behind the curtain. We saw a lot. And that was just two episodes of ten. Ten! And I can't properly break it down. There's so many highlights to talk about. But thankfully, I got somebody who you saw in it. David Aldridge? Yeah, that guy. He was in the series. And he had some great sound bites. And lucky enough, he said yes to talking to me about The Last Dance Part 1 and 2. 
So this is a really cool interview because he got an up-close look at how that final season went down in 97-98 as a reporter for ESPN on the NBA beat with 30 years of NBA experience. He has incredible insight, and he shared a couple of dynamite sound bites which are going to just rock the, rock the floor. He's funnier than people know. He, he, he's very professional, and I feel like I'm understating it. He is the definition of a pro's pro. And getting his insight really opens your eyes, at least mine, to the influence, the stories, and the direction of how this is going to go in the documentary series and how he saw it play out and how he perceived all the different people on that Bulls team. So getting, we're going to get to that in just a minute. But there were no 420 jokes there. I'm not going to be a child. I'm not going to jump in there. I know a lot of people, friends of mine, who probably hope to hear some 420 jokes. But this is about Michael Jordan. The OG, the GOAT, Scottie Pippen. They didn't even really feature Dennis Rodman. He got, I I think episodes three and four, he's going to get a big share of the spotlight. And I hope he does. What a character. They've really done a good job of developing characters in this documentary through episodes one and two. So much so that even my wife got on board with it. Got on board, air quotes. I kind of forced my hand and said, look, this is a once-in-a-lifetime documentary. We're watching this, okay? She even did the dishes, which is, I've been doing them all the time. I, I don't know why I got to get that reward of watching The Last Dance. But we watched it together. Even the dog was quiet. It was just great to get the week started and give us something that's probably second only to Super Bowl, right? I, mean, I can't remember any sporting event in 2020 since we started mind you there's a small sample group where people have been this hyped about any kind of sporting story or event the recent super bowl probably on top but behind that it's this it's the last dance and now we're going to talk about it with david aldridge but quickly before that A friendly reminder, if you haven't already, be sure to follow us on social media at DCAFpod. You can also follow me, Chip Briere, at Chip underscore Briere. It's rather quite simple, except for the last name, B-R-I-E-R-R-E. And if you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. We appreciate it. To David Aldridge. Okay, so there aren't many people I know who probably could provide as much insight on The Last Dance from what I saw last night than this guy who is incredible and funnier than he leads on David Aldridge of the athletic DC. Uh, he's their editor in chief. He's covered the NBA for over 30 years, maybe even longer. At least that's what he says in his bio. And uh, he's been able to make time for us, which I am surprised by considering you might be a hot commodity with all the reaction after everyone saw the last dance episodes one and two. It was phenomenal. It was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Well, nostalgia's in uh, chip. So <laughs> People want to go back with no with nothing uh, currently on the sports horizon. People are looking back, and so I guess old folks like me are now more in demand <laughs> that were around for some of those days. 
And what I found most fascinating about all this is I'm 28 years old. And when Michael Jordan was in his prime, I was just a little child. I knew Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan was around, but I didn't know how much was going on in the background. So watching this play out was so interesting to me. And for you experiencing it in person, do you feel like this generation, my generation is getting a look at Michael Jordan they wouldn't have before? Oh, I don't think there's any question that that's the case. Um, you know, Michael does not do a lot of interviews these days. He's very, uh, very hermetically sealed in his world, and he doesn't come out very often to the public. So, um, you know, out of sight, out of mind. I remember Kevin McHale, and this was, had to be 20 years ago, Kevin McHale saying, you know, someday people are going to forget about Michael Jordan. And I was like, you're nuts, man. That is never <laughs> going to happen. And he was right. You know, um, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And um it's amazing to me, but yeah, you have to kind of tell people, yeah, he was this good. Like, we weren't, we're not kidding. We're not making it up. He was this good. Yeah, and there's so many quotes you can look to in episodes one and two that define what you're describing here. I think Roy Williams said it best. Michael Jordan's the only player that could ever turn it on and off, and he never freaking turned it off. Even Damian mm-hmm. Lillard, who you commented on on Twitter, said he was different, different. Define different, different. Well, I think I think a lot of people in the show talked about it, but you know, I've always said this, Chip, about Michael Jordan. It's not like he was; it wasn't great every night. Nobody's saying that. I saw him go seven to twenty-one a lot of nights, but what I never saw him do is take a night off ever. Um, and in those days, everybody played eighty-two games, and you tried it. You did everything you could to play eighty-two games, so he wasn't unique in that regard. But all the great players, whether it was him or, or John Stockton or Carl Malone or Scottie Pippen, all of those guys played 80, 81, 82 games. That's just what you did back then. Um, and so he had plenty of opportunities on nights against teams that they were obviously better than to mail it in. He never mailed it in. He might have missed shots on occasion. He might have had nights where he didn't have a shooting touch, but he was always present. You could always feel him when he was on the floor. He always impacted a game one way or the other. And that's, to me, what separates even great players from the absolute best of all time. And I think he was among the absolute best of all time. And it's interesting you say that because the telling moment for at least my perspective, Michael Jordan's turn from kind of a naive, hotshot superstar was in the 1986 lead up to the postseason with load management coming off that broken foot, then playing up to five and five with UNC. And then they get to the game against Indiana. He hit the 14 minutes. They wanted him to go into that. Well, he wanted to go into that game. Mm-hmm. Jerry Krause run down, said, don't put him in the game. Don't put him in the game. They end up winning that. How much do you think that really affected his faith in the Bulls front office? Because of, like you said, he wanted to play every single game to win. Well, Michael had a clause in his contract called a love of the game clause where he could play, he could play basketball anytime he wanted. Um, and that, and he meant that he, he, and so when he got hurt, you know, he leaned on that clause saying, I have it in my contract that says I can play anytime I want, which was true, but he couldn't play as many minutes as he wanted, which is where the bulls came in with the, uh, with the edict that he limited his minutes. And also, I don't, I don't know if they're going to talk about it in future episodes. I, I, didn't, I don't have access to the whole, to the whole uh, series. Um, but there was, you know, the word was given at that point, according to Jordan, that, that Jerry Krause, the late GM, said, you are Bull's property and we'll do what we want to do with you. And the word property obviously rankled Michael Jordan a great deal. 
Mm, yeah, that's that's a strong word there. Yeah, <laughs> that's a very strong word there. And I think Jerry Krause too. This is a documentary that's going to reveal a lot about his influence in the mm-hmm. Bulls that I had no idea about. And oh, yeah. it pr- proposed this question to me, David, and humor me if you will. Jerry Krause, hero or villain? Because they play him out to be a villain with Michael Jordan, but in a lot of respects, he's a hero for bringing that team together and creating those three dynasties of the back-to-back three-peats. Well, he's absolutely the architect of that, uh, of those teams. It would not have happened if not for Jerry Krause. And, uh, and I talked to Jerry Krause a lot about this over the years, you know, when he was the GM of the Bulls and he was a baseball guy first and foremost. And I actually chip his, his template was the old Baltimore Orioles. He loved the Orioles teams of the seven sixties and seventies that went to numerous world series year after year were competing for championships. That was the team he wanted to build in the NBA, the type of team he wanted to build in the NBA. Uh, and he, and he did with the Bulls and he should get immense credit for that. I've tried to write and give him credit. The problem is that, Jerry was fighting a battle he could not win. Jerry wanted credit. He wanted, you know, the same credit that that the players got. uh, And you just can't give him that. He's not going to get that credit ever. GMs just don't get that kind of credit unless they're Red Auerbach. And he was the coach of the team, too, with the Celtics. So it's just, that's just not something that's going to happen. You add to that, you know, Jerry was not, he was always very nice to me. I never had any problems with Jerry Krause, but I know he could be short with other people. He was gruff sometimes. He was very secretive. Um, and, and a lot of people, and he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Uh, and he wanted to be on the bus with the team and they really did not want him there. And Phil Jackson used him as kind of the, the catalyst for unifying his team. You know, coaches find, try to find anything that will bring their team together. Well, he brought their team together, those teams together, by their universal dislike of Jerry Krause. <laughs> so that's really what was one of the big factors with that team coming together and, and winning those two championships was they had something to play for to prove to Jerry Krause how great they were. In my short history of covering sports since I got into business, I've never heard or seen a team like that where there's just this unified contempt against a singular person or entity. And it's your own team. David Aldridge of The Athletic DC here with us. You can follow him on Twitter at David Aldridge DC. And you mentioned Phil Jackson unifying the team. Of course, this documentary is titled The Last Dance. That had to be, I'm guessing, a jab at the front office to inspire the team. That was of his own design. Were you ever a part of hearing about how he came up with that or doing any stories of why he decided The Last Dance was what he was going to go with? Yeah, I think it had to do with the band called The Band, if you remember them. (laughs) The the Last (laughs) Waltz, I believe, was one of their albums. They had a final tour or something. I'm not a last band. I'm not a band fan, but... um, that's what I was, that's, was my understanding was it was kind of a play off of that. Um, and you know, Phil's a rock and roll guy, uh, and like that era of music. So, um, yeah, but it was obviously kind of, you know, letting everybody know this is not our idea. You know, we'd keep, we'd stay together if we could, but, um, they're not going to pay us, uh, what we really should be getting if they do. So they do it grudgingly. Uh, and so that's why it had to end because Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, was never going to take the power away from Jerry Krause, the GM, mm-hmm. because Jerry Krause did what Jerry Reinsdorf asked him to do, which was to keep the salaries low. And so Jerry Krause took a lot of bullets and a lot of arrows for Jerry Reinsdorf, and that friction is what became unten- inten- untenable 
uh, as I try to use English, between Phil Jackson, between Jerry Krause, and between Jerry Krause and Scottie Pippen. And the biggest thorn in the side of Jerry Krause seemed to be Scottie Pippen at, with the cliffhanger at the end of episode two, openly <laughs> just crushing. Yeah. Openly it crushing. It was, it was, it was some it was bad, bad stuff that they were referencing in there. And you heard his beginning of his father going in a wheelchair, his brother getting mm-hmm. paralysis from a classmate doing a gym wrestling move. And he's mm-hmm. had a really rough background of getting to the NBA. So this is a kind of side that I never knew Scottie Pippen had to be oh, yeah. that kind of person to his GM. But totally understandable with all the low salary. What was it? 122nd ranked player salary wise in yeah. that season, right. which to yeah. me, eye popping. I could not believe that. I never knew that leading up to it. So do you think people are going to get a different feel for Scottie Pippen, not only with what we've seen so far, but with the remaining eight episodes we have? Well, I certainly hope so, because I think Scottie is one of the most criminally underrated players in the history of this league. He was great. He wasn't good. He was great. Um, He was a dynamic, disruptive, destructive defensive force uh, on that team, along with Michael Jordan. And, uh, you know, it was Dennis Rodman late at the beginning was Horace Grant, but Scottie Pippen was the guy that turned it all around. He guarded Mike Magic Johnson 94 feet in the 91 finals, picked him up full court. Nobody picked up Magic Johnson full court. He did. He turned that entire series around and that really turned the Bulls, started the Bulls dynasty was his defense on, on Magic Johnson in the 91 finals. Um, and so I hope he gets his due. I hope people understand that, you know, in those days, up until the last two years of his career, Michael Jordan's highest salary was $3.5 million. That was it. $3.5 million Jeez. until the last two years of his career when he got balloon payments of 30 and $33 million from Jerry Reinsdorf. So um, that's just how it was back then. Nobody made a lot of money. And so for Scottie Pippen, as you mentioned, coming from very tough circumstances where he grew up and needing to take care of his family, it sounds crazy now, but $18 million over seven years was a lot of money back then. <laughs> and so um, this, it was the seven years. It wasn't the $18 million, It was the seven years that was the problem. And he just said, I need to do this to take care of my family. It's, it's fully guaranteed. I got to take this money. Especially, you just have to accept that. Yeah. And then Jordan at the end when he wanted the – Pippen wanted the trade demand and said, I thought that was selfish. That yeah. was enough of a cliffhanger for me to say, I got to watch episode three. I got to know why Jordan says that selfish. Right. Well, as it turns out, he didn't get traded. I hate to spoil it for you. but <laughs> Spoiler alert for the people who don't know anything about this Bulls dynasty. Right. <laughs> uh, so those are kind of the highlights for me of the Last Dance episodes one and two that I was dying to ask you about. Yeah. And I appreciate all your insight on this. And hopefully we can continue to do this if you're willing. But sure. I want to catch quickly David Aldridge of The Athletic DC, your favorite parts of episode one and two, and what you're looking forward to in episodes three and four potentially. Well, I mean, you know, I just want people to see the, the whole story and, and realize, you know, how, how incredible that, that team was, those, those Bulls teams were. Um, they were just different from every other team I've ever covered. Um, there was just a, uh, not just a swagger to them. There was lots of teams that had swagger, um, but it was just, the compete level was just off the charts. Um, just like the, just like the Lakers and the Celtics where the Bulls were the embodiment of that in the nineties. 
um, they didn't have the foil that the Lakers and Celtics had, which was each other, right? So, um, you know, you could put, if you're the Lakers, you're thinking about the Celtics, you're the Celtics, you're thinking about the Lakers. And so they could kind of play off of each other. The Bulls didn't really have that, but they had to play the entire league. That's the thing that's, that's amazing to me. You just think about all the people that didn't get rings because of the Bulls. And these are great players. These are all-time players. These are top 50 guys, whether it's Stockton or Malone or Reggie Miller or Charles Barkley or Patrick Ewing. None of them got any rings <laughs> because of this team. <laughs> this team stopped all of them, sent all of them home. You know, and a, a really good Cleveland Cavaliers team in the early 90s with Mark Price and uh, Brad Doherty and Larry Nance Sr. Um, just a really good 60-win team. Could not beat them. They broke up that dynasty. That 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 team that could have been a dynasty never got to a conference finals because of the Bulls. So that's how good they were, and you know that's how incredible that Jordan kind of blast furnace. As I said in the show, the this insane competition need to be better. Need to not just win but dominate the other team. I used to always say the Bulls come into your town, they eat your food. They beat your team. They steal your girl. They take the plane. They do it all. They're like pirates. You know what I mean? They're just marauding around through your city. That's what they did. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, yeah. I love that. Well, and Larry Bird then counters with, uh, I didn't know Michael Jordan would come in the form of God in the uh, yeah. 86 playoffs. He certainly looked that way. It was 63 and 61 yeah. or something like well, that. 49, 49 in the first game. And you think, okay, well, he shot his load. He can't do better than that. In the second game, it's 63. So, <laughs> and they know, lose and the series. That, <laughs> yeah, and they lose the series. But, you know, people understood, and I think Magic Johnson said it in the show, that we all knew by 86 at the absolute latest – okay, this guy's coming and nobody's got anything for him. You know? so, so it's just a matter of can they put a team around him? And again, Jerry Krause put a team around him that was good enough to win a championship and win six of them in eight years. I'm going to get you out with this, David. We got to look in the vault. NBA Today with Mark Jones. That was a trip, man, because yeah. I've watched you when you were with TNT. I've watched Mark Jones do play-by-play. I had no idea you guys were doing that. And oh, my yeah. goodness, I would pay to watch that show. That looked like you guys were having a lot of fun. Wasn't Jason Jackson with you guys too? Well, we had two shows that we did uh, back in those days. We had NBA Today, which was on every Tuesday afternoon, was a weekly show. And then NBA Tonight was a nightly show that we did. Um, and so you would go up. I would, I would go up on Tuesday morning do NBA today in the afternoon. And then I would do NBA tonight on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, sometimes Friday night, but it was, it was usually three nights a week. And uh, I did NBA tonight primarily with, with Stuart Scott at the beginning, but then Jason Jackson the last two years. And it was the most fun I ever had on television. I mean, it was, we were young guys. We had Freddie Carter with us, who was a really great player and became a coach with the 76ers for many years. Went to Mount St. Mary's, was a great player at Mount St. Mary's for Jim Phelan. Um, play with the Bullets, play with the Sixers. Um, you know, Jim, Fred used to, Fred was on that 9-73 and 73 team. And, you know, and he used to always say, I was the best player on the worst team in NBA history. You know, and that was his thing. That was his calling card, you know. So, but Freddie was great. And so we just enjoyed each other's company. We would watch games and go do the show and just had a million laughs. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And we've had a lot of fun with you, David. Man, appreciate you being on with us and look forward to episodes three and four. Maybe we'll do this again next week. Okay, Chip, my pleasure. Thanks. All right, take care, David.
Want to thank David Aldridge for spending time with me today to share more of his experience with the Last Dance documentary and vast NBA knowledge. Want to thank you who are listening in and to those who have been committed to catching DCAF since we started a few weeks ago. It truly means a lot that I can keep doing this and you are enjoying the crash course into the world of podcasting. Wednesday, we're all in on NFL draft previews for the Redskins and beyond on the web. Cincinnati Bengals already had technical issues drafting first overall in the mock draft on Monday. So now the nerves kick in that the NFL and its teams don't royally mess up and become the butt of the joke on the internet. Loaded cast of characters to look forward to. Charlie Casserly of the NFL Network and former Redskins general manager. Rhiannon Walker of the Athletic DC on the Redskins beat and Matthew Paris of the Washington Times. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to District of Chip and Friends. Criticism and suggestions are always welcome. If you made it this far, cheers. First round is on me. Catch you later.